0: What's up, drama fam? It is me, Dylan, coming at you with a quick announcement before we get to this incredible episode with Bryn Williams, who, of course, you know from 13 the Musical and SpongeBob and so much more. If you were not already supporting the podcast, we would really appreciate it so we can continue to deliver sickening guests, incredible episodes, and behind-the-scenes content all on our social medias at The Drama Podcast. But of course, you should check out our Patreon, which is how you can support financially. $5 a month will get you access to our close friends. We have polls, sometimes the videos from the Zoom calls on there, and so much more. And of course, it would mean the world to Connor and I, and we'll personally message you how much that means to us. So check it out, the link in our bio, or patreon.com backslash The Drama Podcast. Enjoy Bren, and we will see you soon. Press play.
1: Curtain up an hour in. It's time to take a spin. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, drama! Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got numb? The option? No, I'm not well. What, what star will, will we talk, talk to today? today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. Drama. drama welcome to drama a podcast that covers theater pop culture love and life in, in new, new york, york city, city and, and the world. world i'm connor mcdowell
0: and i am dylan mcdowell connor how are you doing today
1: i'm great you know i'm having zoom dysmorphia which i think we've all experienced at different times but definitely other than that i'm feeling good i'm feeling you know the end of summer is always, I associate it with going back to school, even though I have not been in school for what, like five years. I mean, and that was okay. even college. Docs me, dox me in the process. <laughs> <laughs> but so I feel this end of summer vibe whenever it's August. I hate it, but I know it's okay. I'm feeling great. How are you doing? I'm good. You know, speaking
0: of summer and back to school vibes, I, you know, have a, a guilty pleasure for like teen dramas on Netflix or TV shows. And so I just finished watching Outer Banks the second season. You finished the whole second season? I somehow did. But you told me you were re-watching the first too. I did that as well. <laughs> but here's the thing. I just, I, I think there's something about like nostalgia in like being young and summer being forever and, you know, before school gets back in session and that I just I hold on to in a strange it provides sort of comfort in a way. Let's
1: yes, yes, yes. I know that
0: you only watched the first season, but I I want to make a case for you to watch the second season. And it's the actor Rudy Penkow who plays JJ. <laughs> he is so cute and he is so like he's got like a young James Dean energy about him. What he's, a compliment. I know, I know. There's a scene where he has like a toothpick in his mouth and it I needed a cold shower afterwards. <laughs> I did. And a Virginia oh my God. Slim and not a virginia slim don't. despite me not smoking So um, anyway,
1: his name is rudy
0: it is much like that movie with the the football in the notre dame
1: and like that hot dog bar in Hal's kitchen rudy's right which i don't think survived the pandemic so sad well hopefully whatever replaces it will keep the giant pig statue out front yeah okay so maybe i'll add it to my list i have a few other things i really want to watch the paris hilton cooking show which drama mm. She's 40. Oh, I, I wouldn't believe that for you, a She She seems and looks forever young to me. Yeah. Paris Hilton being 40 does not match up with my... No. I, for some reason, I thought she was like early 30s, but I guess it makes sense. I think sense. that when we were kids
0: and watching TV shows, I think we thought everyone was just like 16. Something like that. And right? they're frozen in time at that age. I know. Okay. Speaking of of being young, we have someone here who has been a star since they were young.
1: Uh, Dylan, this... this unplanned yet perfect segue. I don't
0: know it feels like a stretch but I'm just
1: gonna go. No because we're talking about like end of summer and school and being forever like youthful and overflowing with youth and our guest is overflowing with youth. She is and I'm gonna bring her in because there are
0: things to discuss. Maybe maybe she's watched Outer Banks season two. Maybe she's normal and hasn't (laughs) but you know we'll see we'll see. (laughs) All right I'm gonna bring Uh her in. Our guest today is the definition of a Broadway baby, a performer since the age of six. She made her Broadway debut at 12 years old in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. She's perhaps best known for creating the role of Cassie in 13, the musical, for which you'll know her powerhouse vocals throughout the cast album, but particularly on Brand New You. Our guest is a part of theater history as the youngest recipient ever of the legacy robe, which she was adorned with at 12 years old for In My Life. Icon status. She played Ursula Merkel in the latest revival of Bye Bye Birdie, Betty Lou Who in How the Grinch Stole Christmas and covered both Sandy and Pearl in SpongeBob SquarePants on Broadway. This queen most recently toured the country is Violet Beauregard in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Her talent has been part of the Frank Lesser tribute, Chance and Chemistry, Lazarus off Broadway and many presentations and concerts around the Big Apple. You can catch her flourish in person. Yes, we're promoting something in person on September 10th at 9:45 p.m. at Feinstein's 54 below in her solo debut Confessions of a Bubbly Broadway Baby alongside friends of the Pod Ali Trim and Danny Quad as well as Dreamboat Paolo Montalvin. She is light, she is love. Please welcome to drama
1: Bryn, Bryn Williams. Williams.
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me. That intro totally just swelled my head in like the weirdest way. I was like, "Oh my gosh. That was that was very, very kind of you. Thank oh you." Oh my goodness.
0: <laughs> this is a
1: treat for us, Bren. Truly a treat.
2: I am so happy to be here. This is this is going to be so much fun.
1: As, as, as we told you before we started recording, we literally are obsessed with your vocals on the 13 cast album. So, like, we discovered 13 later, and we can dive into this later in the chat, too. But I remember Dylan and I driving, like, back and forth from our hometown to college and listening to 13. Do you remember that, Dylan? Like, we would always yeah. be singing in the car and listening to it. And D- yeah. Dylan even goes so far as to pull up the karaoke tracks on Spotify, specifically of... Okay, what's that one lamest place in the world? <laughs> and Dylan would be like slaying the house down boots to these 13 tracks on our car rides back and forth. So you've really been with us through the, the good and the bad, Bren.
2: Thank you. That's that's good to know. I'm glad that it was able to, to help you through that time.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I think like... The nostalgia that I mentioned earlier, like, you know, summer ending and going back to school and all these things. I think that it held that for me as well with 13. It's about, you know, kids. Like there's that line at the end where Evan says that he's just getting started. Mm -hmm. That really captures like the idea of like hope when you're young and like the future is wide ahead of you.
2: Very much so. It's Eamon Foley talked about this in another interview where he said that the, the thing about the music for 13 is that in other shows, songs that are written for kids, they sound more like lullabies and they're very wistful and it's sort of playing into that adult fantasy that kids don't have any problems and that everything is just Mm. carefree, but 13 really got down into the nitty gritty because even though the problems of a 13 year old might not be important on an adult scale, like to a kid, that is their life. That is what's going on. And it is the end of the world for them. And it doesn't feel like anything is going to get better. And so really the, the fact that the music reflects that, Was so awesome and so unique, and part of what made 13 so relatable. And I didn't really get that until years and years later, where I could look back and say, Oh, wow, that was really ahead of its time and really (laughs) insightful in a strange way. That
0: makes so much sense to me. Uh, There's a lot I want to get into with 13 and just all of the amazing things that you've done in your career. But before we go a little further, I am curious, are you well?
2: I am well, you know, I have good days and bad days as we adjust to the new normal as everyone does. Yeah. But overall I am very well. I just bought a car, which is so oh my goodness. crazy. It's my first like big adult purchase. I bought a car. She's blue. Her name is Dory because I'm a huge Disney nerd. So I love that. It's great. It's so much fun.
0: Oh my God. Congrats. And I also have to say, yeah, I love the blue (laughs) wall behind you as well. Thank you.
2: Yes. So this, this is actually my music room. My boyfriend and I moved in together and I got to choose the colors for this wall. And I was like, okay, so this is going to be my self tape wall and my podcast wall and my appearance wall. And then the other walls are like a lighter shade of blue um, and fun. he was like okay so anything you want your legos your millions of guitars all of all <laughs> of your show memorabilia crap can go into your music room and you can go and sing in there and do whatever it is that you want so yeah that is where i'm sitting right now oh
0: my god Wait, he sounds like an angel.
2: He is. He's awesome. He's like, I always say he's like theater adjacent. So okay. he did some theater in high school. He was going to be a lawyer and then decided against it. And now he is the deputy director for a youth theater nonprofit. So he oh, like wow. teaches kids ages six to 18 and he also works with special needs people and yeah so he's like he's aware of all of the theater stuff but when I tell about something that I'm doing he's like oh okay that's cool like I might as well have told him that I got a promotion at a bank like he's (laughs) so not really interested but if I'm excited about it he's like okay that's fine Aww, so it's, it's he's Aww. like, it's awesome. It's really, it's a really great balance for me.
1: Yeah. I was just going to say, it sounds like a good match. How did you guys meet?
2: We met teaching classes at the theater nonprofit. We met actually right before I booked Lazarus. So we only ended up teaching maybe okay. three classes together before I had to drop the class and go to New York. Cause I'm in, I'm in Maryland right now. So we only ended up teaching three classes together and then we reconnected like three years later and we've been dating for almost four years now. So it's, it's really cool. It's really exciting.
1: Wait, so was this Lazarus, the one at New York theater workshop? It was, yeah.
2: How exciting.
1: It was really exciting. Because, and Bowie was still living at the time, right?
2: Yeah, he actually was in my final callback. Oh my God. Which it was an audition and, you know, we, you go in for final callbacks and we knew, okay, so the director is going to be in there, the choreographer, the whole creative team is going to be there. And we walk in and I'm, I'm sitting in the lobby and I'm looking over my sides And in walks David Bowie. He's just magical. Like it looked like he had his own spotlight (laughs) tracking him across the room. And he was just wearing like a simple ankle boot, skinny jeans, and like a black t-shirt or like charcoal gray t-shirt. And it was like he floated in and he looked right at me and he smiled and he walks into the room And I turned to Krista Piope, who ended up booking the show with me. And I was like, so did David Bowie just walk into the room? And she goes, I think he did. I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah, that just happened. And I was like, "Okay, all right, we're doing this. So when I go in to sing, he's just sitting right there in, in a very unassuming position. He had this energy about him that was like, He was intimidating because you were aware that it was David Bowie, but his energy was very much like, don't mind me. I'm just going to sit here and cast my show. Like he was just so (laughs) happy to be there and so welcoming and just had the most beautiful soul. It was devastating when he passed away. So none of the cast, none of us in the cast knew that he was sick. He ended up dying the day before we recorded the cast album. And so we woke up to the news that David Bowie had passed away. Oh
1: my God. And
2: and it just made the entire show click and the entire show make sense. He was just incredible. He would pop in on a couple of rehearsals, but he never injected himself into what was going on. He would just sort of sit there and listen and smile and, and react he was just having the best time. And then, and then he would like just kind of disappear. Wow. And it was the coolest thing in the world and on opening night. So we, we never knew when he would pop up. We knew he was going to be there for opening night, but we didn't know where. And so I walked out of the dressing room, I'm hanging up my costumes and I'm kind of flexing around with everything. And then I hear, Hello, Bryn. That's a good show. And I turn around and he's just sitting there on the couch. And I have no idea where he came from. I have no idea how he got back there. You would think that there would be some kind of, some kind of like phantasmic fanfare that follows him everywhere yeah. that he goes. But he just, he was just sitting there. Like it was almost, it was almost like having that imaginary friend that pops up right. that is just kind of there talking to you. And I'm like, oh, Hello. David Bowie, casually. That is so (laughs) unreal. But he was just the sweetest.
1: (laughs) It sounds like he was like haunting the halls of New York Theater Workshop. Like he'd appear and disappear and float in and out. Like kind of iconic.
2: Yes, but in like the best way. And he was just the nicest, the nicest human
0: being in the world. Oh, that is so special. And I love that you mentioned Krista Piope because she was in the National Tour of Spring Awakening, of which Connor and I are obsessed with, and was
2: yes,
0: (laughs) was Christina elabato in Lazarus as well? She was, yeah. Lots of Spring Awakening.
2: Yeah, those Spring Awakening kids—they tend to all kind of float in the same circle of pop rock musicals because it sits so beautifully in their voices. Oh,
1: absolutely, they're just incredible. Wait, Brian, earlier you were talking about how you love Disney. Which Pixar is your favorite?
2: Okay, so my favorite Pixar is actually A Bug's Life. Oh, I love that one. <gasps> Which is like, no one ever says, but it is A Bug's Life. I have a Loungefly backpack that has Heimlich the caterp- the caterpillar on it. <laughs> and it says, one day I will be a beautiful butterfly. That's and it true. just, it makes me very, very happy. And it's the, the whole... Message that like we're stronger together mm-hmm. always sat very very nicely with me. And also, I was like really really short as a kid. I mean, I'm still short, but I was like aggravatingly short. And there's that scene where where Flick handed Dot a rock and was like pretended to seed. Everything that is that makes up that giant tree came from this tiny little seed. And so I was like, that's me. I'm the seed. <laughs> and so it's Bugs Life. <laughs>
0: I love A Bug's Life and it's not a ride. It's more of like an experience in the animal kingdom.
2: Oh, it's tough to be a bug.
0: Yes. It's kind of a scary.
2: It is. I always call it the toddler hunger games because like (laughs) you're sitting there for like anybody that doesn't know it's, it's one of those like 4D experiences. So you sit in the chairs and as the, the little short is going on. You, you like feel things spray on your face and poke in your back and, Mm -hmm. and the sound is coming from everywhere. And so everybody's like, Oh, this will be lovely to take the children to, you know, little (laughs) Bethany is going to love this. And then they, we sit there and as soon as everything starts going awry, Uh the children just start screaming because it's, (laughs) it's scary. You feel things like bugs under your butt and like you get stung in the back with like a bee and they spray you with like bugs. Spray, and the children just like ah! and so you'll start off with a full theater like a packed theater and by the end you have less than <laughs> half of the audience because the parents have removed their children who could not handle it so it's like toddler hunger day
0: we're due for a trip it's been so long when you go do you stay on the property
2: i've only been to disney parks like three times in the past 20 years i think so okay. when i finished charlie and the chocolate factory actually I went twice when I was doing Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So the first time was when we were in Costa Mesa and I took my very first personal day ever, like in my entire career. And I spent Sunday, Monday and Tuesday in Disneyland. And then our final show was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida and I rented a car and I drove down and we stayed in the art of animation hotel and oh, I stayed for a whole week in Disney just enjoying I was like I've been playing a principal for the last year and a half let me just blow it all on Disney in a week so <laughs>
1: you got to have fun yeah you gotta have fun
2: yeah was it the most mature decision no but I was very happy for Good. it and it made the whole prospect of closing a show that i had been doing for over a year it made it easier because i didn't have time to be sad because you know i was at disney right
1: yeah i haven't been to disney since before frozen was really the last time i was there was 20 was it 2011 i Dylan? Think so yeah 2011 so it's been a while anyway okay speaking of being young and loving because i loved the bug's life <laughs> when i was young a bug's life actually if we're gonna be proper but <laughs> you know it's probably around that age when i discovered that i loved the arts and that kind of is a perfect way to ask you, when you were young, did you have a, a moment, what we call a Ring of Keys moment, where you realized that you loved the arts or entertainment in some big way, where you thought,
2: I want to be a part of that? My Ring of Keys moment, I kind of say it was kind of like the the Fault in Our Stars moment, where it was like slowly at first and then all at once. <laughs> like that was, That's how mine was. I did my first show when I was six. It was at a dinner theater in Maryland called Chesapeake Music Hall that has since closed down. And they were doing a production of Big River. And the director had this really cool idea to make Betsy a little girl instead of an adult. So that way, the whole scene where Betsy gets sold away from her mother would be like, way more traumatizing Mm. and just hit differently. And so my mom went out to audition for it because my mom has been, uh, my mom like grew up as a ballerina and loved singing and all of that. So she, my mom auditioned for it and the director said, Hey, if you know any little girls who can do this role, we're we're looking for someone. And my mom said, well, I have a daughter. She's never done anything like this before, but she's cute and (laughs) well-behaved. and they were like well go ahead bring her in and I auditioned for it and I got in you know with those shows at like dinner theaters you do the show for maybe like Mm -hmm. a month a month and a half maybe two months and then they close the show and move on to the next one and after it closed I was like when are we going to do the next show mom when are we going to do the next one and so when I started out it was just fun for me but even more than that it was something that I got to do with my mom Because at that point, I had two younger siblings. I now have six siblings, but I've always been the oldest. And so that was something that my siblings weren't a part of. It was just me and mommy Mm -hmm. time. And so that was always really cool to me. And then I sort of grew past doing shows with my mom where like I would get into shows and my mom couldn't do the shows because of my other siblings that, you know, she had to go and do the parent thing. So... That's sort of how I got into it. But my I want to do this for the rest of my life moment was when I was 12 and I was in rehearsals for In My Life and all I wanted in the world was to see Wicked and Wicked had only been open for a year and Wicked was... Uh-huh. like it there was no bigger show than wicked at the time and i was having a tough time in rehearsals because i was understudying one of the principles so i was spending a lot of time just sitting and doing nothing which was a huge change coming from Chitty, Chitty bang bang where i was in a show full of kids And we were on stage, like the entirety of the second act. And there was just always something to do, just not really getting to do anything. Just sitting there was really tough for me. And so my mom and my grandmother surprised me one day with tickets to Wicked. They managed to get orchestra seats to Wicked, like right before the show started. And I sat there and I was so excited. And I was like, okay, all right, we're going to see Wicked. And my alphabet was shoshana bean and shoshana bean is a religious Uh experience i mean just all of her choices were brilliant everything about her was flawless watching her fly overhead singing defying gravity was just brilliant i mean of course it's shoshana bean but like where i had my moment was when she was singing um no good deed in act Mm -hmm. two no good deed has always been my just i've always loved that song i always say you know you know they they may come for defying gravity but they stay for no good deed no good deed i will go to my grave saying that no good deed is a way harder song to perform than defying Mm -hmm. gravity you know if you can belt you can say yeah and
1: defying gravity has all these little breaks in it too because it's that long scene yeah no good deed is straight through you are
2: it is and you are just like bleeding from the soul Uh the entire time so like very much no good deed but just watching shoshana bean like right there in front of me from center orchestra it was incredible and oh my goodness how did i forget so that cast was incredible it was shoshana bean as elphaba megan hilty as glinda and then Ben Vereen was the oh, wizard. Yes, I forgot he did and that. then the late great Rue McClanahan was um, Madame Moore Wow. War. Get out of here. This is crazy. It was incredible. Oh, it was so, so great because, like, I grew up watching. Cause I was homeschooled. So I watched a lot of like TV land and um, like TBS, like yeah. in the mornings. So I knew Rue McClanahan, not just from Golden Girls, but from when she was on Mama's wow. Family. And so I was like, ah, this uh-huh. is incredible. And then it was really cool having Ben Vereen play the wizard because I had never seen a show where a role that was originated by a white person had been played by a black person.
1: Yes oh okay
2: so I was like oh, the wizard is black and it was, <laughs> And I remember I like I didn't even know who Ben Vereen was I didn't even know the name Ben Vereen because I was 12 sure, but I was like yeah. mom 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 the wizard is black right like in my I was looking at the play I was like the wizard is played by a black man and she was like okay okay Brittany, yeah that's that's wonderful and then intermission comes and she goes I didn't know Ben Vereen was in this I was like I told you she said yeah yeah Yeah, Black man, one thing, Ben Vereen. (laughs) (laughs) That was my moment, I think. I've had a bunch of them, though.
1: Yeah. Well, if seeing Shoshana Bean in Wicked would have been a moment for me, too. (laughs) I mean, she, I feel like I had another Ring of Keys moment watching her do Waitress. Mm
2: -hmm. Oh, wow. You know,
1: she sings, when she sings these runs and riffs and does these vocal changes, you know, a lot of singers do that all the time. Hers have so much meaning to Mm -hmm. them. It's part of the song. You're like, no, this isn't superfluous. Like, this is her emotion coming out in like the her her vocal interpretation it's it's truly unlike anything i've ever seen i'm just in awe of her and you know interestingly you talking about the wizard being played by a black actor it adds a whole other dimension to the story that i think i i wouldn't have thought of before because i've never seen a person of color play the wizard but you know he's this outsider who comes in by hot air Mm -hmm. balloon, and then it's also about elphaba who's also a person of color and the way that their stories Interweave, and then there's the twist at the end, which I won't spoil if you haven't seen Wicked yet after <laughs> you know, all these years, but maybe some people haven't. But anyway, I think maybe he should always be played by a person of color because I think it just really deepens his story. It does. There's in, in Oz.
2: There are so many different ways to deepen Wicked, and like in my mind, Wicked has always been a story of not just friendship, but also like discrimination. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that more actresses of color haven't played Elphaba or Glinda. Like it's, I, I always say like, if Oz is a fictional place, then those characters should be open to anyone and everyone.
0: Yes. It's I'm always, it's them.
2: always been something that I've thought about and more after having seen Ben Vereen in it. And I went back and saw Wicked a few times and I don't know, the, you just, you just never forget your first wizard and Ben Vereen made so many beautiful, like, choices and nuances and even when he was singing wonderful like you really see you really got to see how why Ben Vereen is Ben Vereen you know so like like instead of going so I am wonderful he went so I am wonderful you know it was just like (laughs) oh it was just like really cool little jazzy things that made the words stand out and it was everything about that show taught me something at 12 and I was just a sponge taking everything in.
0: I can't help but think about when we recorded with your friend, Ali Trim, she was one of our first ever guests on drama and her Ring of Keys moment was seeing Wicked and, cr- and her connection that's to right. Kristen Chenoweth. And so it's so funny to me. I think that's just because Connor and I are, we're the same age as you. No,
1: Dylan and Kendra Kassabon. Oh, that's what it was. It was, Kendra. It was
0: Kendra, not Kristen. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like for our generation, that was our rent. You know, it was our moment of oh, I can see myself doing this. And I love the layers that the casting that you had really made it click for you. So we've got to talk about Alley Tram. We've got to talk about 13. Yes. So so shortly after this Wicked moment, you ended up in 13, the musical, right? I
2: saw Wicked when I was 12. And then the next year I did How the Bridge Stole Christmas. And then the year after that,
0: 13. You were booked. You were truly booked.
2: It was so insane. I did a Broadway show every year between the ages of 12 and 17. And when I was 12, I booked three Broadway shows in one year and I had to turn one down. I had to turn down hairspray to do chitty.
0: Wait a minute. Okay. Would you have been Little know?
2: Yeah, but I mean, it wasn't the original Broadway cast. It was like one of the replacements, which is why okay. my representation and my mom ended up saying, let's do Chitty because like Chitty was a brand new show on Broadway. With that, you get the opening night press, you get the possibility of a cast report, you get just all yeah. of the opening night fanfare. Mm -hmm. plus being in the rehearsal room for the first time with everybody as opposed to joining as a replacement it was really a great way to make my Broadway debut
0: oh I think you made the right choice fully yeah
2: I was the poster child for right place right time with just what they need because Mm -hmm. like it And everybody was telling me, okay, Brynn, you know, enjoy this. But just so you know, you're getting into that age where teenagers aren't hired because they cast Mm. young looking adults. And I was like, okay. And here I was, I would go in for shows and even things that I didn't book, I would get callbacks for. Like, Mm. so for 13, when I was auditioning for 13, I was in final callbacks for 13 and Spring Awakening at the same time. To um, replace Lily Cooper as as Marta, Marta, Marta. Yeah, it was a really, really crazy and fortunate period in my life. And that all all six of my Broadway shows have been original cast. I haven't replaced anyone.
1: Interesting. So you
0: were
2: actually thirteen at the time. I was fourteen when I booked the show, and then fifteen when I started rehearsals. Okay. So
1: at that point, you were maybe one of the more experienced Broadway performers in 13,
2: right? Yeah, I was. There were, I think, the only other people who had Broadway shows. It was me, it was Eamon Foley, who played Richie, who sang the high note in Bad, Bad News. Mm -hmm. Henry Hodges, who was understudy, he was one of the swings, he understudied Archie. Delaney Morrow, who played Kendra. And... Liana Ortiz, who did Chita Rivera, A Dancer's Life. I think that was it. And then Corey Snide, who was the Evan alternate, he played Billy Elliot in London and in Australia. So like we had a crazy stacked cast. I think Henry, Eamon, and I had the most Broadway credits.
0: So when I read that you got the Legacy Robe at 12 years old, you didn't get it in 13. Who who got it in that one then?
2: Eamon got it in 13. Eamon did How the Grinch Stole Christmas two years in a row. I only did it one year. And like- <sighs> That it, technicality. Yeah. And so it counted as another Broadway show. I was like, you just did the same show. <laughs> How? Like- yeah, but if we're being really, really technical, Henry Hodges, who was in, who was one of the understudies, he did more shows than Eamon and I did. But the Legacy Robe goes to the person with the most ensemble credits. And oh. 13 was Henry's first show where he wasn't playing a principal. He played like Chip in Beauty and the Beast and Jeremy in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and Michael in Mary, Mary Poppins. Hopkins. Yeah, so all of his credits yeah. were like, principles
1: okay yes. now what was the experience of doing 13 like for you
2: unlike anything that I've ever done because it was strange going into a cast where I did have more credits where I was they said okay Brent so you have to lead by example because you know what you're doing you're you're, you're the old showgirl in this one and I was like "Ooh, don't like that At, you know, 15, I was like, don't like being referred to as that. Uh, But it was great because we had an all-team cast and band. So it was great to have that camaraderie. But I joined 13 on Broadway. They had already done an out-of-town run at Goodspeed. So I felt like even though I was original Broadway cast, 95% of the cast already knew the show and like not much Mm -hmm. of the choreography changed between Goodspeed and Broadway. So I jumped in and I felt like I was behind everyone else. And also I was dealing with a whole lot of guilt because I, for numerous reasons, one, a friend of mine played Cassie in the out of town run. And so Mm -hmm. like, and I got the role that she had originated. So that was something that I felt guilty about. But also, remember I told you I was auditioning for 13 and Spring Awakening at the same time. I had gotten to a point where I was like, I'm tired of only having one line to say. I want to be able to like sing and I want to have my moment. I want to have my... My solo time, so auditioning for Spring Awakening, I was in the work sessions with Kim Grigsby and singing Dark I Know Well, which I had never gotten Ah. to do anything. All of my other shows were happy, you know, Mm Chee-Chee-Bang-Bang and How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And they were just, they were happy, lighthearted shows. And then I got to go in and I was like, I get to act. I get to be dark. I get (laughs) to have something wrong with me. And I ended up booking 13 and not booking Spring Awakening. I wanted spring awakening so badly that like I was having dreams about being on the stage. Like wow. full on. And also um my friend John Groff, we did in my life together, and he was still playing Melchior. Yeah. So I was like, I get to go and do another show with Jonathan. It's gonna be so much yeah. fun. Like I was, I, I was like decorating my dressing room for spring awakening. Uh-huh. And they told me that. I looked too young for it. And Mm. they said, if we're still open in six months, come and audition again. But then I booked 13. Mm -hmm. And I was like, another show where I'm in the ensemble. And like, there's nothing wrong with being in the ensemble. I just wanted one moment where I could have that time to shine. I wanted... Yeah, my moment to be the person in, in center stage. So first day of rehearsal, I was dealing with feeling guilty about booking 13 when I didn't want to book 13, when I wanted to book spring awakening. And I felt like I took it away from a friend of mine who really, really wanted it. And it would have been her first Broadway show. And so I felt so horrible. And then I get into the first day of rehearsal and I come home and my mom said, how, so how was rehearsal, Brittany? And I was like, I'm off book. And she was like, what? And I was like, I'm off book. And she was like, what, what, what do you mean? And I said, I have all my lines memorized. Hi Brett, count me in, count me out. I wanna wonder bro. Wow. And she was like, well, you're in another show, you know? So I just felt <laughs> so, so guilty about that. But fast yeah. forward to two weeks into rehearsal where Jason Robert Brown says hey Brynn so we're thinking of putting a song in the show that would kind of highlight some of the people that that we haven't really get to see so I'm just gonna teach this this melody to you low pressure just go ahead and try it it ended up being brand new you and so it was it was me and Jason Robert Brown in a room and he's sitting there just banging away on the piano to this really cool song and I'm like oh, okay, so I can't mess this up. I can't mess it up. Yeah. <laughs> and he teaches me the very last phrase, which is the, I open my eyes and there's a great big world around and the, and just look, just look, look at what uh, I found.
0: You sound amazing, by the way. Oh,
2: <laughs> thank you. But <laughs> so we get to the look, just look at what oh, I found. Man. And I couldn't remember where the note was couldn't remember the note so and this was like okay so we're just going to run through it one last time and then I'm going to send you back into the other room so in my mind I'm like oh this is my final callback to sing this song and I could not remember where found was supposed to hit I went so just look just look look at what I found and I just ripped off of it I hit a random note and ripped off of it because I couldn't remember how the actual melody went and he goes oh hmm. So Brendan Williams can sing anything. And then he was like, all right, back into the rehearsal room with you. And I was like, I hope that went well. And then the very (laughs) next day, he was like, okay, so we're putting this song in the show. It's called Brand New You. And I started the song and I ended the song, which was so Mm -hmm. incredible. But as we're going through rehearsals, I was like, oh, this is so much fun. This is so cool. But like, it was my fourth Broadway show and I had already seen how songs can get cut and shortened Mm -hmm. and taken out and rearranged. And we were like, okay, so where in the show is Brand New You gonna go? And they're like, so we're gonna put Brand New You after Vows. And I was like, after Vows? (laughs) (laughs) Like when people are walking out of the theater? Okay. And so I thought the song was gonna get cut. And so it was a huge shock to me when they said, we're going to perform Brand New You for Broadway on Broadway, like in Times Square, Broadway on Broadway. Okay, seems like a weird place to perform a song that's gonna get cut, but okay. Um, And then we get into recording the cast album. And if you watch the, there's like a video where they're documenting us recording Mm -hmm. the cast album and Jason goes, okay, so next we're gonna record Brand New You. And I turned to Ari and we're both like (gasps) genuinely excited because we could have sworn, like we were sitting out in the lobby saying, they're not going to record Brand New You. They're not going to do it because it's after Bows. Like they're just going to use it as like a surprise, but wait, there's more kind of thing, Uh but they're not actually going to record it. So Mm -hmm. every day that Brand New You was highlighted or featured or made it through another preview was incredible to us and like uh, up until opening night i did not think they were going to keep brand <laughs> so it was just wow. it was just fun and so when i think of that song it's like i got my moment i got what i wanted and it was just a time to goof around with everybody on stage, you know, to perform. Cause we got to show off everything. So if you watch the Broadway on Broadway performance, not performing to the audience I'm not performing to Times Square everything that I'm doing is like I'm going to the different my different castmates because it was kind of we kind of felt like okay the show was for the audience but brand new you is for us
1: oh yeah okay
2: that's so cool
1: I love that story I never knew any of that oh my god well and and then as you're literally singing here Singing the house down <laughs> in boots with these 10 a.m. vocals, I'm literally like, Bryn Williams <laughs> can sing anything. And then I was thinking about how you said you were auditioning for the Lily Cooper role in Spring Awakening, and then you cut to you in SpongeBob. And did you understudy Sandy or was it Pearl that you understudied?
2: I understudied Sandy. Yeah. So I was, I was a swing and Pearl is technically a featured ensemble role. So um, I understudied all of the women, including Pearl. So I went on for Pearl. I went on for Mrs. Puff. I did all of my tracks except one.
1: Wow. I need to hear you saying that. Song that Pearl does in act one. The name is escaping me right now. Something about the, da- the daddy. I love SpongeBob.
2: It was such a great show. And that was my first mm. time being a swing as an adult. And I went on for Pearl. In previews, wow. like before understudy rehearsals had had even started. I remember being downstairs, like the day before I went on, and our um, costume associates where they were all downstairs, and we would have these like fittings during the show. Like the swings would mm-hmm. have our fittings during the show for our costumes. I remember that Jesse, who understudied SpongeBob, he was supposed to go in for his fitting next, and our costumer she goes. Uh, Actually, Brynn, let me take you in first. I only have time for one more person. Let me take you in first. So I go in and she already had all of my measurements. And she was like, okay, so we're just going to try on some costumes. And she put Emmy's costume on me from Chicago, Emmy who played Pearl. And she was like, oh, that actually kind of fits perfectly on you. She was like, well, you're, you're shorter than Emmy is. So if we take this up here, but do this. And she like whips up that costume. And she was like, okay, so... If you have to go on, there you go. Like, and just kind of set it off the cuff. The next day. Oh my God. I was on as Pearl. And it was the weird, like, no one had any idea that I was going to go on. And our stage manager called me and she goes, okay, so Bryn, we need you to go on as Pearl. And I was like, okay, all right. And she was like, can you, can you do it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And she was like, is there something that you Need and I was like, um, I would love uh to have a chop to the top rehearsal because the during chop to the top and Act Two, all of the actors were pushing around the big carts that Sandy and SpongeBob were okay. were traveling on. They they were pushing around the mountain, and I was like, I would love a rehearsal with that. Um, but no, I'm okay. And she was like, you good on all of your harmonies? And I was like, yeah, I'm good. And she goes, okay, well, uh, go hang out in your dressing room and we'll let you know when your rehearsal is. And I was like, okay, great. Thank you so much. I'm excited. Cool. Go back to my dressing room, call my mom. Mom, I'm freaking out. <laughs> I was like, I'm going on as Pearl today. I've never had a rehearsal. And she was like, okay, you've got this. But like the, the great thing about being Pearl was that I had a scene partner. Mm -hmm. always, you know, I was always surrounded by people. And SpongeBob was one of the warmest casts I've ever been in. They were all just very cool and very welcoming and and very playful. And so it made it a whole lot easier.
0: Oh, I love it. It made
2: a whole lot easier. And like, I got a lot of you know, shoves with love, uh-huh. but <laughs> I always said, you know, ain't nobody dies. So that's all we can
1: ask <laughs> for. Uh, love it. We were actually at the closing show of SpongeBob.
2: Oh, wow. Which yes. was
1: exciting to be at.
2: I bet I didn't get to go to that because I was I was in Schenectady. I left SpongeBob like a few weeks before it closed to go and do Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So I was oh, okay. in Schenectady. But yeah, I heard that the energy that night was just incredible.
0: It really was. It was it a special was. show. And being in the palace for like the last show that's going to be in the palace for a while was really exciting because they're renovating the whole thing and moving yeah. it around.
1: Oh,
2: right. Yeah, which just breaks my heart. I understand, you know, everything. It is the nature of New York to change and evolve, you know, constantly.
1: What a cool theater. Which theater, which Broadway theater was your favorite one to perform in? Which, where do you have the fondest memories of?
2: Um probably the Hilton. Oh, it's not called the Hilton anymore. The lyric, right? Yes. The lyric. I was like, it's not the Hilton. It's not the Foxwoods. <laughs> it's because they keep changing the name. Yes. The oh, yeah. lyric
0: where Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is. Have you gone in for Rose Granger?
2: I did. I went in for the original for the very first and it didn't happen, but it's okay. Because yeah, I think okay. Cause I got into SpongeBob after that, but yeah, I've been in for just about every show that is on Broadway. I haven't been in for Hades Town, and I haven't been in for six, but I've okay. been in for like, I went in for waitress. I auditioned for beautiful. So many times I could teach the locomotion choreography. Ah. Like I went in so many times for that show. I always say there's for every yes that you get, there are going to be, a hundred no's. If you're lucky, a mm-hmm. hundred no's. And then 500 more, they just won't even tell you no. They just won't call you back.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, I think that's yeah. so important for our listeners to hear too, because I know there's a lot of aspiring actors and actresses and performers in general who they hear these great stories of, you know, booking all these shows and whatnot, but they don't hear necessarily the, the heartbreak that goes along with it. So. Oh
2: yeah, there's so much heartbreak. My my very first heartbreak was, <laughs> was when I was 10. Mm-hmm. And oh, so this was another ring of keys moment. So my great aunt, She had breast cancer and she got, for her wish, she wanted to take her entire family to go and see Lion King on Broadway, which at the time Lion King was the Hamilton and the Wicked, like you (laughs) could not get tickets to Lion King. We had great seats. We were like front row balcony so we could see just everything. Yes. And, and young Nala comes on stage and I said, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. And I had seen Broadway shows before, but like that was my first time seeing a show where there was a young black girl. And I was like, right. I want to do that. And I had already been doing shows in Maryland. And so my mom was like, OK, well, we can find auditions. And at that point, I didn't have an agent. So I, my mom found the open call auditions for Lion King, which they have like every six months or so. Uh-huh. And I auditioned for Lion King, open call audition, got there at like five o'clock in the morning. And I was number 32. I remember this very, wow. very clearly. I auditioned from six o'clock in the morning until I think it was four in the evening where they would just bring us in in groups and have us sing the last 16 bars of I Just Can't Wait to be King. And then they would make cuts. But I didn't realize that they were making cuts because I was like eight, eight. Had no idea what was going on. And um, so they would just say, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to take these group of kids into this room and we're going to take these group of kids into this room. Little did I know that the kids that were in the other room were like getting the okay, a show is like a giant puzzle speech, you know, and not every mm-hmm. puzzle piece fits into every puzzle. So, right. you know, like they were getting cut. And I made it all the way through to the last four girls. And they said, okay, great. That's all we're going to do today. So I made it to the very end of the day. And come to find out, absolutely loved me, but I was too young and too short. I auditioned for Lion King when I was eight, when I was nine, and twice when I was 10. By the time I was 10, I had an agent. And for the agent it calls, you don't have to go and stand in line all day and do it over and over and over again. You maybe have to do it like three times, read your scene. Like it was way more refined. And so I'm like, I am the right height. I am the right age. I am going to get to play young Nala. It was all I wanted in the world. And I auditioned and I did a great job and I didn't book it. And they said no further interest, uh, which meant that, like, I couldn't even audition again. Yeah. Absolutely devastated. Like, for a very long time, I was devastated about Lion King. It just happens that way. And they didn't give me any explanation other than it's a no and no further interest. Like, uh, bye and don't come back. But. <laughs> You know, you learn that everything happens for a reason and you're not going to be right for every single role. And the best that you can do is hold on to what makes you special and don't lose yourself trying to fit into someone else's mold. Yeah. Because it's it's not gonna be right for everyone.
1: And I think it also says so much about your tenacity that you went again and again and again at such a young age. Like you know the belief you had in yourself is so amazing, and it's it clearly was able to keep you on a path that brought so much success and different varied experiences into your life. It's lasted so long.
2: Yeah, it was. I I had a very strange outlook on auditions when I was a kid, and even now, like when I was a kid and I would go and audition, I would say, "Oh, I'm going to get this. So, what are we going to do when I get this? Are we going to when when I book this? What are we going?" to Like I treated it like. I was going to book it. I mean, I did Mm -hmm. the same thing for Spring Awakening and like I did the same thing for all of the shows that I was in. I was like, oh, I'm going to book this and truly believe that I was going to book everything that I auditioned for. And then I would just deal with the fallout (laughs) when Mm -hmm. it didn't happen. But, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend it because dealing with that (laughs) fallout over and over, gets to be real not cute. After a while, you have to develop some kind of, delusion almost to keep going in and to keep facing rejection, to keep getting turned mm-hmm. away to say, okay, well, that was just one audition and I'm going to get up and I'm going to try again, no matter how many times I get
0: told. No. Gosh, you have such a beautiful outlook and energy about everything. And I can only imagine that you're going to bring some of these stories and maybe songs from the different credits to your solo debut. What can you tell us about confessions of a bubbly Broadway baby.
2: First of all, I'm so impressed by your segues. It's just seamless. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's incredible. Sorry, I totally broke the illusion there. I was like, wow. That's no, really oh my good. god,
0: thank you. <laughs> my head's big now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So I can tell you that it's going to be a lot of fun. I know that after the year that everyone's had with quarantine, with the pandemic, with so much sadness, there are a lot of stories that can be told about surviving that year and about coping and about just kind of coming to terms with yourself all of those things, which are great, but I have I've always dealt with sadness with fun. I've always countered countered it in that way, where my way of coping is to make other people feel better. And so I was like, I, this is going to be my first time on stage in over a year. I just want to do everything that I've always wanted to do. It's almost a show of randomness because I have ADHD, music ADHD actual like medicated ADHD. It's it's a thing that I've been dealing with. You haven't been able to pick up on it, which you might have. (laughs) Because I just I just go rapidly. (laughs) But I just I just want to get on stage and I want to have fun. And I brought two people that I have known for years and years, Danny Quadrino and Ali Trim, who are two of my favorite people in the world to come and be my special guests.
0: Oh it's going to be amazing. Well, because Bryn Williams can sing anything, it's going to be a night of vocals for sure. And your third special guest, he was the prince and the
1: Brandy and Whitney Cinderella.
2: Yeah, he was. I knew I recognized the name.
1: (laughs) Oh, my. He has a stunning voice. And he's also so hot. But oh, my.
2: (laughs) Yes. Yes. To all of the above. (laughs) I'm so excited. I emailed him and I was like, hi, so you probably don't remember me. I mean, it was like the most desperate, pleading email, like begging him to come and be in in my show. And he was so gracious.
1: Okay. That was me emailing Jonathan (laughs) Groff to do the podcast.
2: So... (laughs)
1: He's like, no, I'm filming The Matrix Four, but thank you. He was so sweet, but he was also gracious. Anyway, not about not about me, not about me. Brand, back to you. So, what did what did he say um, when you when you emailed him?
2: <laughs> He was like, oh yeah, of
0: course. Oh my God. Everyone needs to buy tickets. It's a Friday night in New York city. You have to be vaccinated to go. So it's going to be a safe time. Yeah. It's going
1: to be great.
0: And it's produced by our friend Jen Sandler. So, you know, it's a good time. And Ben Kaplan's involved.
2: Yes. Jen Sandler and Ben Kaplan are two of my favorite people. Like in addition to Allie and Danny and Paolo, like I just, I wanted to be surrounded by people that I adore and by people who would just have fun and it's it's supposed to be really relaxing
1: well at this point in the last year and a half since you know lockdown and quarantine started i think we all just want to have fun so it sounds like it's going to be perfect okay so we are wrapping up here and also everyone needs to get tickets but in addition to that We're not gonna say goodbye just yet because we need to get to our doses of drama. This is the segment where we share the drama in our hearts and on our minds. Could be something you wanna recommend, rant about, rave about, share with the listeners so they can go check out or maybe not check out. And (laughs) I, I need to say by the time this airs, this series will have reached its end, but I am obsessed on HBO with The White Lotus it is everything to me. It is mysterious, captivating, thrilling. The cast is incredible. Literally every single person in this cast is amazing. I mean, my standout is Jennifer Coolidge who is just giving the performance of a lifetime. Every choice is a choice and it is so thrilling to watch this show. I can't explain why it's so amazing. And I text my friends who watch it and I'm like, well, what, what is it about it that's so captivating? And they're like, it's everything. It's the music, it's the the setting, It's." everything. And it's best to just go in cold and enjoy the show. And by the time this is out, all the, all six episodes will be available to stream. So you can do a a fabulous binge and oh my God, cannot recommend it enough. The White Lotus on HBO. Everyone's got to
2: see it. I have to watch that.
1: Oh yeah. It's so good.
2: I'm so bad about watching new things and like, I'm such a creature of habit. So like right now I am rewatching Sex in the City, which like I haven't watched since I was not old enough to watch it (laughs) and like had to kind of like sneak and watch episodes of sex in the city. And it's so funny watching the way that like comedy has changed and humor has changed and like certain things that they say that I'm like, Ooh, that would not fly. Now that would, that wouldn't even get, it wouldn't even be on the cutting room floor because it wouldn't get to the table. At all, right? Like just certain right. things that they say, certain ways that they react to it. But it's also kind of like is the way that people speak. They're just human. You know, they're they're just sitting right. there talking, you know, how you, how you talk to your friends. And like, there are things that you'll say to your best friends that you wouldn't say on a platform or in front of people. Mm-hmm. And watching that kind of openness and candidness in um, on a on a comedy series is just it it was really kind of fascinating it's been it's been kind of interesting to watch and to say okay so where is the line between not being offensive and being funny you know the humorous the right yeah and, and i don't really have i don't have the answer for that but it's interesting to watch Humor of the past and see, okay, how is it that a show like Sex in the City might not hold up, but a show like All in the Family does? Mm. Where Mm. it was Mm -hmm. way more outrageous and like so, what (laughs) what is that? Why is that? So that's I've been I've been rewatching
1: Sex in the City. What you're talking about taps into something that I've been thinking about because on this show White Lotus that I'm watching, you know, race is one of the big themes of the show, and you see different generations of family members and other people at at the dinner tables having conversations about, you know, like the woke Gen Z college student and her views on, because it takes place in Hawaii, and their views on colonialism. And then it talks about the parents and about the Me Too movement and the mom and the dad. And it has all those issues, but it, it is still funny. You still root for all the characters, even though they may have different beliefs that might be a little more outdated or they're open to learning. It's very, very fascinating. Hearing what you're saying about what interests you about watching Sex and City now, I think you'd enjoy the White Lotus because they tap into some of those things and they allow their characters to make mistakes and be quote unquote, wrong or problematic, but it's in a way that makes sense to the story and to the character. So I think you'd enjoy it.
2: Fascinating. Other than that, I've been doing a whole lot of Lego building. That's what I discovered in my year in quarantine, but I don't just like buy Lego sets just for the sake of getting them. Like they have to be very, very specific ones. So like I have the, okay, the steamboat okay. Willie Mickey Mouse, and for Christmas I was gifted the Lego piano that like actually plays, and I haven't put that together yet. Oh but my god, god. It's that's so fun! Incredible. Lego has discovered that. A lot of the people that put together Lego kits are adults (laughs) that just enjoy things, and so they have these like kits that are in the black boxes, and they have way more pieces, and they're more intricate. And it's like if you like putting together puzzles, I highly recommend putting together like a Lego kit. So like they have the Friends set, and they have the Seinfeld set, and they have a whole lot of different Disney, Harry Potter sets. So like it's fun and my way to sort of unwind, decompress, because I can't watch TV or movies without looking at it from like a creative standpoint. And so <laughs> when I just need to turn off my brain like and not think about performing or directing I put together a Lego kit I highly recommend it
0: that sounds fun it sounds comforting too I love it Connor and I were huge Lego people we had like boats and things like that from the Harry Potter movies I'm tempted all of a sudden to get Legos well my my dose of drama was just Outer Banks season two if anyone wants some eye candy and some teen drama go for it um listen Bryn, this has been so much fun you are full of stories and we would love to have you back again sometime (laughs) because I feel like there's so much more I'd want to hear from you this was a delight
2: yes anytime this has been so much fun thank you for having me
0: of course there's a link in the notes but everyone needs to get tickets to go and see your show on September 10th and follow you at Bryn Williams on Twitter and at Bryn Will
1: two L's on Instagram love it yes please okay so everyone of course should be following us at the drama podcast me at Connor McDowell Dylan at Dylan McDowell on Instagram and Twitter Go and give us a review. Rate us five stars. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you, your podcasts.
0: And Connor. Yes. I'll see you next time. Drama. Drama.